0: Today we continue our studies in Matthew 24, as we've been saying, Matthew 24 and 25 are two of the most debated chapters in the entirety of the New Testament, and the reason is they concern the prophecies of future things, which usually with prophecy in the Bible, people have a lot of things they think it's supposed to mean, and we never get it right until it passes them. We're like, oh, yeah, how could those dumb people not see that? But we wouldn't have seen it either had we been there at the time. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones said about prophecy, about this particular area of Scripture. He said that we're more interested in the how and the when of the second coming of Jesus Christ instead of the fact of the coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, Rich and I were talking before the service today, and, and I, we said that, you know, one of the things, as people argue about the timing of the second coming and, and all these different you know, positions people have on it, what it's, what it's unfortunately done, it seems to have let it where nobody's even talking about it anymore. And, and everybody believes there's going to be a second coming. The timing and the progression of events is where the debate is, and the Lord has, likes to keep us guessing, I guess. Now, prophecy is meant to comfort us. It's meant to encourage us that we will, who have put our trust in Jesus, will be with Jesus forever. It's supposed to comfort us that the Lord knows the future. It's not supposed to discourage us. It's not supposed to cause disunity uh, among us. It's not supposed to make us overly positive, like everything's going to be great all the time, and it's not supposed to make us overly negative, that everything is, you know, the sky's going to fall down today or something like that. We, we don't want to be like that either. Uh, and as we've said already, to me, Jesus seems more concerned with our perseverance and our being prepared to meet him, whether second coming or, you know, somebody could die tomorrow or something like that. We've all lost loved ones in our lives. Uh, He wants us to be persevering and prepared, I think more so than getting our end times timing right. So let's set the scene. It's Passover week in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to die on the cross in a matter of days. He came into the town already on Palm Sunday. Some people call it the triumphal entry, or some people call it the triumphal entry, and then others call it Palm Sunday. It doesn't really matter. And the crowds were cheering. Jesus has been in the temple. He's been debating the religious leaders. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And this is what it says in Matthew 24, verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And we said that was symbolic of the departing of the glory of the Lord. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. I was like, that's funny. Like, hey, look at Jesus. Look at this. Like, he didn't know it was there. And uh, verse 2, and Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone, and that meaning of the temple, we covered these verses already, shall be left there, uh, left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So he's predicting the destruction of the temple. It actually did happen not quite 40 years later in 70 A.D., now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, that's why this is called the Olivet Discourse, the disciples came to him privately. It's not a public teaching. It's private, just Jesus and his boys saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And we said that they think it's going to be now. They think it's going to be now. But it's not going to be. And so they ask, what will be the signs of your coming? And so the title of our message today is, The Signs of His Coming. Well, what happens next is Jesus Christ, who is the only person in the Old Testament, there's prophets, priests, and kings. Those are the, those are the offices of, of, of the kingdom of God. And he's the only one who's prophet, priest, and king. Jesus takes on the role of a prophet and begins to teach them about the future. As we said before, there's a lot of uh, prophecy that has a partial and complete uh, fulfillment. That means parts of it happens at one point in time and parts of it happens later on in time. And so Jesus speaks of the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. And he also then goes on to speak to the end of the world. Uh, Matthew 24 and 25, the debate is over which section is which, where is the overlap, and and how to work the timing of, of it all, and I don't know, to me, when I see, come to places in the Bible that's not really clear, and I know that really smart people, way smarter than me, can, can uh, debate about this stuff, people who I respect, some who I love, so I care about, and they all believe he's coming, but they're not sure when, I think it's probably more important for me, and maybe for all of us, to be more Christ-centered than timing-centered. Does that make sense, right? You can talk about the timing all you want. But you may have it wrong, but you can talk about Jesus all day long, and hopefully you'll be right about him. Uh, But also, we said for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, there's great personal applications in the midst of this passage for all of us that are apart from the debate. Let me just run through a few examples of verses that we covered already. Verse 12, Jesus said this, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Let me tell you something. No matter what the timing is, I do not want to become lawless. I do not want to become a guy who has no regard for the word of God. I lived the first 29 years of my life like that, and I know where it got me. I don't want to go back there. I have no desire to be that person anymore. I do not want to be lawless. And he says, I don't want to be a person not caring about obeying the word of God. And he says, the love of many will grow cold. I don't want my love to grow cold. It doesn't no matter when he's coming back. All right. He could, he could, the Lord could show up and tell me right now, I'm coming back in a thousand more years. You ain't going to see it, Jim. Don't worry about it. You're going home. I still do not want my love to grow cold. Verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. No matter what the timing is, I want to endure. I don't want to give up. I don't want any of you to give up. I want you to hang in there. I want you. I want me. I want all of us, people who will join us in the future, to be faithful all the way to the end of time, to the end of their life. It doesn't matter when Jesus is coming back. That's what I want for you, and that's what I want for me. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. No matter when the end is, no matter when this thing we're going to talk about today, this time of tribulation is, I want to be, I want us to be part of local, national, and world evangelism. That's what we want for all of us. That's what we want for people to be. In other words, we want to hear God's call to mission where we live, where we might send other people. Some of you may even go yourself. And we want to take the gospel to the world with a sense of urgency, not yawning, going, oh, we got plenty of time. We got plenty of time. I don't want that for any of us. Now, I think that verse 21, we'll skip down to that, is a cause of a lot of the debate. Jesus says, For then there will be great tribulation. That that term right there has caused a lot of uh, people to get all up in arms. Such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. I think that's a very, very important statement. Something is going to happen that the whole world has never, ever seen before. And it's not Donald Trump becoming president, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> Some say this whole section is about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., um, which was very horrible. It, it was absolutely horrible. The Romans came in and leveled the city, uh, but to me, there seems to be more than that here. When Jesus says that it's gonna, nor shall ever be, it's going to be that bad. There seems to be more. That's why many Bible scholars believe that the section that we're in today describes this time referred to as the Great Tribulation, which the prophet Daniel hundreds of years earlier, centuries earlier, told God's people about in his prophecy. At the very least, one might say we're getting a view of history or a partial view of history all the way until the end. So we're seeing what, how things are going to unfold. Now, last time, we covered what I believe to, begin, to be the beginning of this seven-year period. Uh, some people call it the tribulation. Some call it the great tribulation. I'll explain the dividing line in, in a little bit. Um, and now we come to the middle of it, the middle of it, the mid-tribulation. In verse 15, we meet a very, very scary fellow, very scary fellow. Therefore, he says, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and then in parentheses in my Bible, it says, whoever reads, let him understand. Now, some of your Bibles, it's, if you have a red print edition, red means Jesus, uh, green, uh, not green, but black means editorial comment by the writer. Uh, we don't know who said that. We don't know whether Matthew threw that in. We don't know whether Jesus said it. It doesn't matter. It's the word of God. God put it in there. That's the way it's going to go. So he says, "When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand." Now Jesus is referring specifically here to Daniel nine twenty seven. Uh, Daniel three times talks about this abomination of desolation. Talks about a man who's going who's to show up at the temple in the middle of what we call Daniel's. 70th week. Now you say, what in the world is that? Daniel talks about these weeks and and there's 70 weeks in his prophecy and each week equals seven years. And the prophecy is to begin from the order to rebuild Jerusalem and, and then there will be 69 weeks. That's 483 years. And then Daniel says, then the Messiah will be cut off. Now it has been calculated by some that King Artaxerxes, when he made his decree to, for them to go back from Babylon, where they were captives, were the captives to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the city, that was, until the time of Jesus' triumphal entry, that time period, was 483 years. That actual 69 weeks, 69 times seven, all right? And then, and then Jesus and then, then Daniel said, "Then Messiah will be cut off." And so then Daniel says, at that time, things will happen in the temple, the abomination of desolation. And Jesus says, that's a sign. That is a sign. That is a very, very important sign. It's yet to happen. People, when people want to say happened in 70 AD, it didn't happen in 70 AD at all. And that's when, that means the 70th week, the 69 weeks are completed, the 70th week. Um, still main, remains that last seven years, which we refer to as the tribulation. So I know a lot of you are confused by this stuff. Don't worry about it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, the apost- I'm, a, I'm a person who believes in progressive revelation. What does that mean? That means that God unfolds his mystery, that a mystery is not something that can't be solved. It's something we don't know the answer to. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times my wife watches these murder mysteries and she says, oh, you got to watch this one with me. And I'm trying to figure out all along who did it, who did it. She's like, I can't tell you, I can't tell you, I can't tell you, it's a mystery, right? And so that, that's what's going on here. And so Paul wrote after Jesus, so the mystery is unfolding, he wrote this second Thessalonians chapter two, verse three and four, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. I don't know when the day comes, but I know I don't want to fall away. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple, and so uh, in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So he's in the temple. Daniel tells us hundreds of years in advance the sacrifices are going to stop, and this discat's going to demand worship. And none of this happened in seventy A.D. None of this happened in seventy A.D. Now I would be willing to admit uh, that a lot of the things that are in this chapter did happen in seventy A.D. So I'm, I'm, that could be in the way I would view it as a as a partial fulfillment, but yet there is a complete fulfillment that is to happen. So now, why would Jesus would Jesus say this stuff? Well, some people would say. That, that both 70 A.D. and this time are, are he's, you know, he's used 70 A.D. as an example of God's judgment for rejecting the Messiah. I don't, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that at all. But I think there's another deeper reason that perhaps is a bit more important. You know, one of the ways you know a prophet is a prophet is if his prophecies came true. So Jesus has already given us back in verse three, the prophecy that the temple would be knocked down. That was the prophecy. That's a partial prophecy. So when we would read this stuff later on, we'd go, well, he was right about that. And so, so what he's doing is he's giving a prophecy that we can already look in the rearview mirror on, and then we can know that he's right about what's going to happen in the future. So what is an abomination? Has anybody ever told you you're an abomination? What is an abomination? Well, an abomination is some sort of an act and, and so let's, let's let's put it in terms of maybe how God would think of it. Uh, an abomination is an act that disgusts God. We might say in our way of thinking, it actually makes him sick to his stomach. You know, sometimes you see things on the news or, or hear things and you, things that went on. Actually, it makes you sick. You can feel it. You're like, that is disgusting. I can't believe people would do stuff like that. Typically in the word of God it's something associated with uh, some sort of offensive idolatry and gross ungodliness that renders in this case uh, the temple unclean. It could be translated this way an abomination characterized by desolation or an abomination that causes desolation. Now in 2 Thessalonians 2 we actually it's on our website we studied a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night The Apostle Paul refers to this man behind it all as the lawless one. We just read that. And the son of perdition. In other words, he is the eternally damned one. We also know him as the Antichrist. As the Antichrist. Now, this is something a lot of people really are unaware of. We talk about the Trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We talk about the Trinity of stupidity, me, myself, and I. Uh, There's also a satanic trinity. And it has to deal with Satan, the Antichrist, you revelation hounds, that's the, that's the beast, and also the false prophet. He is the forerunner, like John the Baptist was, of, of Jesus coming, and he's trying to convince everybody to listen to what the Antichrist uh, has, to, has to say. So over the years, uh, there's been lots of pictures of this guy, the most famous of all by far, is this guy, uh, Antichius, I can't even say his name, Antichus Epiphanes, who came around in 167 B.C. And what he did was he conquered Jerusalem, killed thousands, some say about 80,000 Jews, took another 40 maybe prisoner. Uh, What he did was he went into the temple and he sacrificed a pig, which was an unclean animal in the temple, and he erected um, a... uh, You know, a false god statue in the temple. Other people tie it to the coming of the Roman Empire, which would be more contemporary of Jesus' time, and then after Jesus' time, but before 70 A.D., what Caligula tried to do, but thankfully he died in the process. And, and And then there's this comment that's in there. We don't know whether it's Matthew or Jesus saying, at the end of verse 15, whoever reads, let him understand. Whoever reads what? Well, I think it would have to be Daniel and or Matthew. Or both. We don't, we don't really know. But he says, let them understand. So the Antichrist is a wolf in sheep's clothing. At first, he brings, in the first half of these seven years, he brings world peace. He makes a deal with the Jews, and they're like, oh, we love this guy. We love this guy. Uh, but after three and a half years, he breaks the deal. So he stabs them in the back. And then he goes into the temple. He sets up an idolatrous image. He defiles the temple. He um, orders the worship of this image, and failure to comply with him will result in death. Now, some some of you might be saying right now, uh, Pastor Jim, there's no temple right now. That can't happen in the future. Uh, Basically, they have everything they need ready to go to assemble that thing in about a month. That's about how quick it's going. You see, you ever go into New York City, and you go you know, a month later, and you're like, was there a skyscraper there last time we were there? I mean, these things go up so fast, and they have so much money, so much materials, they can assemble the, reassemble the temple once they're given the go-ahead in about a month, and then this guy will come in. He's going to be their friend, but then eventually he'll come in and declare himself to be God. So now as we go to verse 16 through 20, uh, you know, you may think it's verse. Uh, you may think it's about seventy A.D. By the way, just a cross reference for you, total Bible geeks. Uh, Luke writes about this same time, and I'm convinced that Luke is talking about seventy A.D. Uh, but but here's the problem with putting this at seventy A.D. when Jerusalem was destroyed is that most of the people were out by sixty six to sixty eight A.D. Most of the people they saw <laughs> they saw the Roman army surrounding them, the followers of Jesus. That knew about these things. They 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 took off, and so they weren't there. Verse 16. Then let those who go who are in Judea. So let's just stop for a second. What does that tell us? That tells us that he's talking about people in Judea, in Israel, in the Holy Land, in and around Jerusalem. He says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now again, most of the people by 70 AD were already out. They just, the Romans really came in. The followers of Jesus weren't there. And the Christians actually did not flee to the mountains. They fleed to the, to the city of Pella. Verse 17, let him who is on the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house. You're like, what in the world is that? Well, in the, in the Middle East back then, really a lot, but still quite a bit. Uh, You know, people have porches or back decks or something like that. Remember in the old days, people had porches. Now they have back decks, so they don't have to talk to their neighbors. Well, in in the the Middle East, a lot of people, their porch is up on their roof. And then there would be stairs going up, and they'd come up and down. And Jesus says, listen, man, if you hear, if somebody comes around and go, hey, man, that dude is in the temple, and he's telling everybody that he's God now. Jesus says, man, get off the roof do, don't go back in your house. Treat it like a fire. I mean, get out. If you're still there, you shouldn't still be there. But if you're still there, get out. Verse uh, 18. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. So what does he say? Forget about going home, getting a shower and getting changed and getting going. Get, just run. Just go straight to the mountains. You know, don't stop by the house. Verse 19. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. So how difficult, if you have a baby or if you're pregnant, will it be to escape? Very, 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 very difficult. Going to be tough to that. And, and just imagine these savages. We see, hear these stories of them all over the world. What are the, some of the gross stuff they do when they capture pregnant women? It's a horrible, horrible time. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, and and so, in the winter roads are washed out. A lot of the services are closed over in Israel on the Sabbath, or you know you be try to get out of town and you won't be able to. You know Uber will be full. Sorry, we will we'll be a day wait or something like that. So Jesus says that. Um, you know, if you're in Judea at the time, and he's talking to these people who are the elect, we'll talk about them in a moment. He says, when you see this character in the temple, or when you hear about it, this abomination of desolation, you will be in great danger. Run, run! Don't don't take anything with you. Get out of town before it's too late. You have been double crossed. Now, what's what's going on behind all of this? Now. Some of you, if you're a guest with us here today and you're like, this stuff is all, like, whacked out, man. This church is weird. Um, I, I'm just going through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, this, by the way, is message 112. So we've been doing this thing for a long time. It's gonna, we have some bigger chunks coming after this, so we will finish before Jesus returns as long as he return, doesn't return in the next three years. Uh, so, but, 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 but this is what Jesus is saying, and, and the Scripture teaches about this dude we call him Satan. I don't even like to mention his name. Used to work for him. Used to be on the payroll. He, t- he pays lousy, and he takes everything out in taxes. So, and, and, and so some people say, I don't believe in this dude at all. But, but if you say to people, do you believe in evil incarnate? They go, oh, I believe in that. Okay, well, then, then we're, we're not as far apart as you might think that we are. And so, and so you have to realize this about this fellow Satan. He hates the Jews. He hates the Jews. He hates followers of Jesus. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, he hates you. He hates you. And he really hates people who are Jews who will become followers of Jesus during this time. I mean, he really hates those people. And so Jesus says, if you see all this going down, flee. That word literally means it's time to become a fugitive. It's time to become a fugitive because another great slaughter. Of the Jews will happen. You can read about it in Zechariah thirteen. It's prophesied, and Jeremiah uh, thirty calls this the day of Jacob's trouble. And Jesus is saying, "This is no time to take a stand. No time to go around signing a petition. We think he should get out of the temple. What do you think? (laughs) Right? No time for that. You got to get out of here. It's time to flee. If you will, it's time for an exodus. It's time to leave." And so, interesting what, what happens in the book of Revelation. It tells us that, that the reason he says go to the mountains, it's a good place to hide, but there's going to be a place there of supernatural provision and supernatural protection. Revelation 12, says twelve six says this, Then the woman, that's Israel, fled into the wilderness where she, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there, 1,260 days three and a half years three and a half years and so they're going to be nourished for three and a half years until all of this is done so ultimately while it's time to hide it's time to flee it is time to cling to the God who provides and protects so without having been there in 70 AD And without knowing all the particulars, Zechariah tells us two-thirds of the people are going to be slaughtered. Without knowing the particulars of what's going to go on in the rest of the world after this time, uh, this to me seems a much larger scale than 70 A.D. and much more brutal. Certainly much more unexpected than 70 A.D. They saw the Romans coming. They knew it was time to get out. Perhaps... The Antichrist thinking, of course, under the influence of the evil one, if we can kill all the Jews, then we'll stop Jesus from returning. Now, some of you might be sitting here saying, well, if it was in the future, uh, why didn't Jesus just tell us all to buy SUVs, hop in our SUVs, and head for the mountains? Well, you know, he's got to speak to people in a language that they understand. And another thing you say, well, you know, now they have them anyway. A lot of times we think the rest of the world is like the United States of America, you know, one inch of snow on the ground, and we're like, what are we paying taxes for? And then when the snow plows up, what a waste of money, right? So, you know, we think the rest of the world is like us, and it, it's not going to be that. It's not easy to pass when they have those heavy rains in Israel. Uh, not going to be easy to, easy to pass and, and to get to where they need to, they need to get. And, and for us, though, I think it resembles something we see over and over again in the scriptures, and that is a call to urgency. That is a call to be ready. Verse 21 seems to take us into this next period. Sometimes people refer to this whole thing as the great tribulation. Sometimes people refer to the first half as the tribulation. Then there's the middle of the tribulation, and the end is called the great tribulation. And so we come to the second half, uh, the greater part, the, the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, And then verse 27, Jesus quotes Daniel 12, 1, and he says, For then there will be great tribulation. Like, where do they get these names from? Well, now you know. And the idea of the word is pressure to the point of bursting. In other words, the whole area is just going to be so hot. The whole world is going to become so hot. And we could go into a million conspiracy theories about how this is all going to go down. Uh, but uh, let me tell you something. You don't want to be around for it. You don't want to be around for it. And so some of us believe that God's going to take his believers out before this time comes. And, and so other people think that they're going to endure it, and then God is going to return. But, but it's going to be a very, very difficult time. And so he says, For then there will be great tribulation. We read this verse already. Such has not been or unequaled since the beginning of the world until this time no nor ever shall be now what's going to happen well in the book of revelation we're told before jesus returns all hell is going to break loose so you know how people say it can't get any worse than this (laughs) It it can it can it can get it can get a lot worse than this i'm amazed sometimes how good things are you know, some of the things you read about in the in the, in the news, and I'm like, I, I, this is horrible. But sometimes I'm thinking, how could this not happen every day? I mean, you know, and we know from, from 2 Thessalonians that the, the restrainer is here. And the Lord is holding the world together, if you will. Verse 22, and unless those days were shortened. Now, what does it mean those days were shortened? Some people would say they were shortened by the Lord in advance, saying that it was only going to last three and a half years. Other people say that actually God may, may supernaturally make the days shorter so there's more darkness giving more people opportunity to hide. I don't know. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. Now, I don't think it means saved in the sense of going to heaven. I think it means that people won't live. They won't be able to survive. So unless God intervenes, nobody will survive. That's how bad it's going to be. But for the elect's sake, we'll talk about them in a second, those days will be shortened. Now, the elect is Jesus' followers, so God intervenes in the world on behalf of his followers. Now, you say, I thought you just said some people believe that the church isn't going to be here. Well, during this time, if they're not going to be here, during this time, some people will still become followers of Jesus. In fact, these times will be at times of great revival as people will be reading and going, oh, my gosh, everything he said was true, but still it, it's sort of like uh, what goes on in places like China and stuff like that where you're, 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 you're maybe a follower of Jesus but don't think that the government's actually thrilled with you. you know, It happens in a, in a lot of other places like that too. And so the, as, the, as the passage goes on, we'll see this happens right before Jesus' return. Uh, we'll talk about that next week one of the many reasons why I am, a, I am a, what you would call a futurist. I believe a lot of this stuff is in the future because I don't think a lot of it has happened yet. And I find it hard to believe that there's a 2,000-year gap between verse 20 and verse 21. When he says, run, and then he says, N-, "You know, now there's going to be this time of great tribulation. I know a lot of people think we're living through it. Now I'm not so sure I'm there with that. And, and one thing I would say that the last century... Was, was worse for the Jews than, than 70 A.D. ever was. I mean, who knows, really? that the, the numbers are, are largely in dispute. Who knows how many Jews were killed by the Nazis and the communists in the last century? I mean, you know, numbers are, numbers are very, very high, you know, 6 million, 20 million people say, and, and who knows how many were hidden? You know, we don't know. We don't know. So who are the elect? Well, in one sense, I'll tell you that only God knows who they are. Uh, If you take the view that they are, uh, that that we're going to all live through this horrible time, then they're followers of Jesus, and they will be living through this time as well. If you take the view that the church is not going to be here, um, then it would be the people who meet Jesus during this time who we call tribulation saints. And um, perhaps it could mean he's limiting it to converted Jews. uh, I don't know. But again, I want to say to everybody, and this is very, very important, that uh, many Jesus-loving, Bible-believing followers of Jesus disagree on the timing, but we all agree that Jesus is going to return. That's where we all agree. Verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. What's he said, that's a deception. That's a deception. For false Christ, interesting, that, that false Christ, uh, the term antichrist actually can mean against Christ or instead of Christ. That anti can mean one or the other. So false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs And wonders. So so these guys, these deceivers, are going to be able to do miracles to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So so is it possible they're mixing in with the people who are fleeing to the mountains? It's possible. Is it it possible they're going to be mixing in with with God's people? It's possible. And so they God's people could, he says that it's possible, but he's not going to let it happen. Verse 25, see, I have told you beforehand. So no matter what, it is important for the follower of Jesus to continue to trust Jesus no matter what happens. No matter what. No matter whether it's personal tribulation, personal suffering, personal difficulty, or all of this stuff. So Jesus says, as everything begins to unravel even more false messiahs, will show up uh, even more than earlier in the chapter. Now, to me, that is very, very sad. You say, why is that so sad? Well, because it's like today. Today, there are so many people that are looking for God, and there's plenty of false teachers out there that are willing to accommodate their search. There's plenty of hucksters, there's plenty of rip-off artists, there's plenty of charlatans, people who want to steal from others, people who want to take advantage of others that are out there, for and people who are generally seeking God are being misled by them. That's why, loved ones, it is important that we go through our Bibles very, very slowly. You don't have to understand all of this stuff. I know, you know geeks like me study this. And you know, I spent like eight hours reading other stuff. I'm like, what am I doing? Like I got stuff to do. And so, but, but, but we have to understand our Bibles because we have to be able to articulate the Christian faith to people. That's why I'm all jacked up about Colossians on Wednesday nights over the summer. You know, you're away for the weekend. Come to church Wednesday night, man. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. And so you're like, I'm tired. Well, who isn't? I'm tired all the time. All the new parents are like, Pastor Jim, I'm so tired. When's it going to end? I go, when you die, get used to it, man. <laughs> right? so, so, so we got to know, we got to know our stuff so we are not deceived. And we can tell our friends and loved ones, you know, that's wrong. What they're saying to you is wrong. That is not Right. True faith involves not believing lies or trusting in these relentless imposters, yet so many people believe in them. Some will even be able to do miracles at this time, which just goes to show us not all miracles are from God. So how merciful of Jesus to look ahead and tell people who will be living at this time Listen to me. This is coming. You know, there's going to be a point in time when people are going to be looking at one another going, this is it. This is real. And you know what? When you leave, when you run, when you run off the roof, when you run off your job, you might not have the, your Bible with you. You say, I got my cell phone with me. <laughs> so what do all the towers go down? Right? And you better have the Word of God hidden in your heart because that's all you're going to have. And yeah, I Know these things. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples the night before he dies. He's going to say this in a couple days, John sixteen four. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Now, maybe some of you are afraid right now, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad you're afraid, because that's one of the ways you come to Jesus, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible tells us, and, and yet, if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus tells us how his followers are to able, able to keep from being deceived and gives us more incentive to study the Word of God. He said this, John 10, 27, and 28. My sheep hear my voice. You see, when you read the Bible, again, if you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here. This is whacked out. I understand it. But when you read the Bible, you hear the voice of God. Now, if you're new, it takes years. It takes years to to really understand sometimes the difference between, you know, the silliness that's in your head. You know, so, so the... The, the voice that says to you, you know that, that sin you've been committing? You need to confess that, and I'll help you get over it. That's God. You know the, 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 the voice that says, you know that sin you com, you've been committing? Well, you're just a stupid idiot. God wants no part of you. He can't stand you. Why don't you just go on with your life and forget about all this stupid Jesus stuff? That's the other guy. Or you. So it takes a little while to figure that stuff out, but, but, but Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. You hear it in the word of God, and then when you're out and about, you know which voice you're hearing. You begin to know which voice you're hearing. And he says, and I know them and they follow me. So, so you're here today and, and you're, you're wondering, you're wondering, am I, you know, you know, am I a follower of Jesus? I always say that the typical conversion in this church goes something like this. Hey, uh, Pastor Jim, I, I've been going here about six months now. And, uh, you know, when I first got here, I was smoking dope. I was cheating on everything. Um, I, I, was, I had, you know, eight girls who I said was my, the only one in my life. And, um, now, um, I don't do any of that stuff anymore. I read my Bible every day. I pray. I serve at the church. I, I give a little bit of money to the church. I'm, I'm trying to live an honest life. I love Jesus. I know he loves me. Do you think I'm Christian, Pastor Jim? <laughs> I'm like, you might be, <laughs> right? All <laughs> right. So, so sometimes I, we have to learn to hear the voice of God because it's not just the the, the pointing out of our sin, it is actually, we're going to talk about it this Wednesday night, is, is the, and the apostle Paul is going to say, remember when the Bible speaks, God speaks, I'm so happy that you're following God. Like Kevin is happy when you're following God. Listen, you don't always get it right. I understand that none of us always get it right, but there's a continual improvement in your life. And the more you love Jesus, the more you want to obey him. And in so many different areas, the easier it gets to obey him. I've used this example with you guys many times before. Listen, I have a wife. I have a beautiful wife. I convinced the most beautiful girl I ever laid on in my life to to marry me, man. And I don't go out chasing other women. Now, you say, why? Because the Bible says I can't do it? Yeah, it does. The Bible says I can't do it. But that's not really the reason. The reason I don't is love. That's the reason. And so when you hear Jesus' voice, when you are loved by Jesus, and that's even more important than loving him, right? When you know you're loved by him and you respond in love by him, you will start hearing his voice. You will start following him. He says, my sheep hear my word, and, they know, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, he says, and I give them eternal life. They're going to go to heaven. And they shall never perish, nor shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Nobody is going to take you out of his hand. Did you hear that? You don't sound like you did. Nobody is going to take you out of his hand. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, we're getting there, we're getting there. If you're not a follower of Jesus... And you want to go to heaven? You want eternal life? Hear the voice of God today. Put your trust in Him and start to follow Him. Jesus continues to warn us about the the false teachers and tells us what His second coming will be like. Verse twenty-eight. Therefore, if they say to you, "Look, He is in the desert," do not go out. Oh, he's got. He's not got like, like, if, like, oh, he's hiding in a cave in the desert. Jesus is going to be like, sit back, have a nice tea, enjoy your day. Don't go. Don't go. Or look, he's in the inner rooms hiding in Brooklyn somewhere. Don't go. Don't go. Do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. That word coming is the word parousia, which which actually means his actual presence, that Jesus will return in actual bodily form. Verse 28, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Now, some of your versions say this, for wherever the carcass is, the vultures will be gathered together. I bet most of you have that on your refrigerator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that verse, man. (laughs) Wherever the carcasses are there, the vultures will be gathered together. (laughs) So what is Jesus saying? Let's come back, come back. What is Jesus saying? (laughs) Jesus is saying that his second coming will be plain for all to see. He came very humbly the first time, not so the second time. He's also saying it will be quick. It will be sudden It will be like a a flash of lightning. It will be be visible. It will be globally visible. Everybody will see it. It won't be secret. He's not going to be hiding. You're not going to have to look under a rock for Jesus. For those who have turned to Jesus, turned to God, forsaking their sin, willing to give up their sin, he's going to help you. But they've turned to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ. This will be a glorious day. As will be the day of death for all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Not for us. We're bummed out you're gone. Well, hopefully we are. We're bummed out you're gone. Right? But for those who die absent from the body, present with the Lord. It's a wonderful, wonderful day for us. But those who have rejected Jesus, whether they meet Jesus at his second coming or in death, it will be a day of judgment. Revelation 1.7 says this, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. There's your cross. There's your cross. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Why? Because it was our sin that nailed him to a tree. And if you didn't put your trust in him. if You didn't believe that he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the God, hand of God, the place of honor. You rejected him. And then John goes on and says, even so, Amen. Now, some of you are sitting here right now, and you're probably going, but, but I am a good person. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that tell us? None of us are good enough. The, the high bar of heaven is perfection. So you don't have it. I don't have it. We have to get it from someone. So we get it when we put our trust in Jesus. He gets our sin on the cross, and we get his perfection and his righteousness. So we all need a savior, every single one of us. Last week I was outside my house and I I saw those ugly, disgusting turkey vultures circling over my uh, property. My rebellious wife said, you better start moving around, they think it's you. (laughs) I can have so much more fun when she's not in this service. (laughs) But then you all tell her what I say. (laughs) Now, if you're a guest, you're like, what is this? Uh, My name is Jim. My wife's name is Pam. If you've seen The Office, we're just like them. (laughs) If you haven't, well, you you know, Google it. Uh, Netflix it. So, um, so, So I saw this group of vultures circling in the air, and it was so easy to see them. And in one sense, it will be that easy for the whole world to see the second coming of Jesus Christ. But in the the same way, vultures are attracted to death, and the spiritually dead will ultimately attract the judgment of God. And the only way to survive Jesus' second coming is to put your trust in him. So why would you put your trust in Jesus? we'll wrap it up. You see Jesus was accused of being a false teacher. Yet he was willing to be crucified on the cross in your place for your sins. You see Jesus said when when that evil day comes flee. But he didn't flee. He ran to his destiny. So yours and mine, eternal destiny could be changed. You see, to the religious leaders, Jesus was nothing. And when he was crucified on the cross, he was, a, he was a carcass on a cross, and the vultures surrounded him. They spit on him. They told him, hey, you saved others. He can't save himself. If you're the son of God, come down from that cross. But it was only because he stayed on that cross he was able to save us. You know, Jesus on the cross became an abomination. They looked at him. It says in the scriptures you couldn't even recognize what he looked like. He was so beaten and bloodied. But he did it all. He took the judgment for you. So you wouldn't be an abomination. So you could be considered holy. So no matter how dirty you might feel today, you can feel clean and you can feel forgiven and you can feel new. The first time Jesus came to earth, he came as a suffering servant. The next time he comes, we'll talk about that next week, he's going to come in majestic glory, but he's also going to come as a judge for sin. And he's going to judge all those who are lawless against God's law. And he's going to judge all those whose love has grown cold. If you're not a follower of Jesus, Jesus' love for you is red hot. Maybe today you need to let your guard down. Maybe today you need to be sensible and admit that you need the forgiveness of sins and so turn to Jesus and receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus but you would say, you know, I'm not particularly faithful. I really haven't been walking with the Lord the way I would like to. Maybe it's time for you to become a little bit more sensible too. To be More obedient to the things that God calls you to, not because you have to, but because, like I told you about before, because of love. See the signs. See Jesus dying on the cross for you. That's the sign for the Christian. And walk out of here today forgiven and clean and be about your father's business. If you are here today and, and you're a faithful follower of Jesus. Don't give up. The Lord is coming. He's coming for his people. Doesn't matter which view of all these end time stuff you take. He is coming for his people. It's okay to look for the signs of his coming. But most of all, what's most important. Is that you're ready. Ready that you're ready now, that you're prepared. And you've decided in your heart that whether you meet him by second coming, by rapture, by death, however it is, that you're going to persevere in your faith until you breathe your last and you're in his presence. Well, let's stand and pray.